Hello, friends, and welcome to the National Beer Association's Coffee and Beer Podcast with your hosts, Nick and the Doctor. Our guest today is outdoor communicator and perennially successful whitetail hunter, Josh Honeycutt. Yeah, I had to practice that word a couple times, but it just seemed like the right fit there. Uh, we're covering two things today with Josh. We're going to hear about his Kentucky buck that he called Big 12, and it is a Big 12. If you've seen the show promotion photo, you've gotten a look at it. And then we're going to talk some rut hunting strategy. It is that time of year, folks. It is the Super Bowl for deer hunters in a lot of the whitetail range. And you might be surprised. Does Josh love the rut? Does he not love the rut? You're going to hear from him here in just a little bit. But before we do that, let's say hello to a man that's on a mission to take a, to, excuse me, he's on a mission to make a date with his yard buck, the doctor, Mr. Mike. Groman. Mike, you think you might have a good buck hanging around your yard there, huh? I'm not sure. As, as I told you, I found a really interesting track that caught my attention. It was the size of the bottom of a coffee cup, just real stout, wide, heavy, deep in the ground. And the reason I stumbled across it is because we have chestnut trees down behind our pond where I put them, planted them specifically for the deer, but my wife loves chestnuts and every evening she says have you gone and checked to see if any of the trees are dropping yet and so i was down there with the dog checking and i looked down and i saw these uh, obvious like scuff marks in the in the dirt and i'm like that looks like a scrape but it didn't wasn't really well established and when i walked over i saw this track so i put a camera up there on video mode so we'll see what happens if i catch something that's interesting i'll definitely i'll definitely um let you know well it is a big track, and I love old school, like looking at tracks. I did a bunch of that with Ron Haas, friend of the show, which we'll talk about here in a second. And it's a bit of a mystery. I thought it was cool, though, when you sent me the video that you actually see your place in the background. And so yeah. we're going to have to calm the yard buck, but uh, we'll, I'll be anxious to see what he looks like. Well, the, the fair point is there is I don't have any stands down around those chestnut trees or anything like that. I'll, I'll figure out where he's moving, and I'll, I'll take him in the woods if I get a chance. All right. Speaking of uh, Ron Haas, friend of the show, I just got back from Delaware, hunted out there for a few days. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I would have been happy to fill a doe tag, but I just saw mostly bucks. <laughs> and so I did have a couple close calls with those. But uh, we we had an encounter by a buck that we we just named him. We named him Lucky Stickers. And so lucky because he's avoided Ron twice now. Ron got a shot at him last year and, and didn't get him, missed him. And this year he came by, we were setting up literally like 50 yards from each other because this spot really was suited for it, which is kind of cool because we're both seeing the same thing. And uh, so three bucks compiling in there first thing in the morning and the middle buck was Lucky Stickers. And so uh, Lucky Stickers comes through past Ron at 15 yards, but he's hunting out of a saddle and he's left-handed. Now, if the right-handed guy was in the tree, myself, it would have been a chip shot, like 15 yards. Uh, but he couldn't get turned on the deer, and so he had to watch Lucky Stickers walk away. And this deer, I, I at least got some film on the deer, which was cool. Uh, but he's got these Coke can bases and just sort of points sticking everywhere where he got stickers. Now he's Lucky Stickers because he's gotten past Ron twice and is living to see another day. So it was it was good. I never did shoot a doe, so I had lots of young bucks running around and, and Lucky Stickers. But uh, Mike, i got to give you a quick B-team report, though. 
Okay. We haven't done a B team report for a while, but I'll just give you a quick one. So number one, before I headed out there, I was already scrambling because I had, I play in an over 40 baseball league and our championship game was on Sunday. I didn't expect that we would play because it had rained all day Saturday. Well, lo and behold, I'm just kind of goofing around at the house and I get a text message from our manager saying, hey, this game's still on. I'm like, oh man, we, we stayed up at camp that night. And so I was already just sort of behind schedule. So I'm trying to rush around and I realize as I'm packing for Delaware, which I want to leave for Delaware as soon as we're done with this baseball game, I left my saddle at camp. So I spent the whole 24 hours before there at camp and left camp and had to drive back to get my saddle that I forgot and then rush back and play this baseball game. And so we won the game. We're over 40 league champions. So congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, But I I wasn't a champion in terms of having to go back and get that saddle. Then when I get to Delaware, uh, so this is a good one. Ron pulled out, had a couple trail cameras there. And he's like, hey, uh, why don't you put these out while we're here? They're just sitting here. And Ron doesn't like to mess with technology a whole lot. But I do think he likes looking at the pictures. And so uh, we went over to the, the barn and got ready to go out. And I said, Ron, do you have those cameras? And he said, uh, I thought I just sat him. I thought I sat him here on this on this table and we couldn't find him. And man, for the better part of that day, just we're talking about where these cameras could have went and how he could have lost them. And so anyway, he went off to the gym in the middle of the day and I was doing some work and I happened to look in the back of my truck. And didn't I take those two cameras and put oh, them in geez. the back of my truck? And so this whole time, Ron's been worrying and wondering what happened to these cameras while they were sitting in the back of my truck. So, yeah, Ron didn't lose the cameras. I did. And then finally, uh, on our last hunt, we're, we're last evening hunt, we're walking out of the woods, and Ron sees this camera on the tree and realizes he set this camera up the previous season and forgot he put it up there. And so, oh, well, we're kind of excited. Let's see what was on this thing. So we take it back, crack the memory card in there, and uh, it never took a picture because it, was, it either wasn't set up right or something. <laughs> this is why Ron tells me to put the trail cameras up. Uh, so anyway, yeah, lots of B team reports. It's no wonder no deer were harmed <laughs> on that trip. So anyway, um, but it's been a while since I haven't filled a tag by now. I mean, we're middle, late October. I still haven't filled a tag. And I'm thinking back to that opening night where I passed on that pretty easy shot because frankly, I just didn't, I was tired from, from being in Montana and didn't feel like dealing with the deer. And now I don't have one to deal with. So anyway, uh, we'll have to fix that here pretty soon. So it's just the way it goes. It happens. And I think, you know, you make your decisions and the way I've always told my kids is you got to stick with the decisions you make and be okay with that. Yeah. I'm not worried about starving or not having deer in the freezer. Uh, I I was slow out of the gate last year. And then I think I killed three or four within a week or two of each other uh, later in the year. So that's what we got to do. That's what we'll do. All right. Let's go ahead and get to the interview with our friend, Josh Honeycutt. We're going to talk the Big 12. We're going to talk the rut. Let's get into it. Our friend Josh Honeycutt joins us here again on the Coffee and Deer podcast. Uh, You may remember that Josh is an outdoors communicator and he's one of my favorites for sure. Uh, He's written for numerous publications, actually more than 50, and for the biggest names in the industry, including the National Deer Association. 
He's also an avid whitetail hunter and a darn good one. In fact, we're going to talk about a, a great deer that he took already this season, a uh, deer that he named Big 12. And having had a chance to see it here on the video screen, a very, very impressive deer. So looking forward to hearing that story. And he's going to help us fill our tags here as the rut is uh, right in front of us as you're hearing this. So uh, incidentally, Josh was also the second guest on the show back in July of 2021. So it's great to have him back. And so, Josh, what did I miss? What's new? How's life in Kentucky these days? Yeah, it's going well. It's going well. Uh, thanks for having me on the show then and, and again now. It's, it's always an honor. Um, yeah, deer season is well underway now. Um, man, it just it always goes by faster or speeds along faster than I think it will. Uh, it's hard to believe that, you know, we're, we're already to the point in the season that we are. But um, it's been a good one for a lot of people already. You know, fortunately, I was – certainly blessed uh with an opportunity to take my biggest buck ever so that was that was really uh cool something i was super um uh, thankful for um you know there's still a lot of deer season left though and plenty of opportunity for those people out there who haven't you know filled tags so you mean like me <laughs> and, and me <laughs> yeah and and usually a lot of a lot of the times me you know and i still have tags you know i've, I've I'm planning to, to deer hunt in Ohio and Indiana and Missouri. So I'm trying to, trying to stay as busy as I can. We actually, so, so we have one child, I've got my daughter is three years old. Um, everybody tells us that there's a huge change from going from one child to, to two children. Uh, and, we, and my son is actually due next March. So I'm trying to get as much hunting as I can in this year. Cause I know I'm going to have less opportunities next year. Well, congratulations. That's wonderful news. And uh, yeah, so you have a, a three-nager, as they call them, right? So oh, I'm sure she yeah. has lots of personality now and another one on yes. the way. Yeah, yeah. No, I learned that. I didn't, I was not familiar with that term until here recently, but she is most certainly a three-nager. <laughs> well, that's wonderful, Josh. That's great news. And by the way, it's always easier to schedule guests who have already killed a buck. Like if there's someone out there that I wanted to have on and they haven't killed one yet, like you, you, they lose your number. They don't return your call, but you got back to me right away. So thank you. All right, so let's do this. I, I want to hear the story about Big 12. And so I think that's the perfect way to lead us off. You're our first big buck story of the year, which we like to tell these stories. And it's just a fantastic deer. And let's jump right into it. And starting with, you had some history with this buck. It's not like he just showed up this year. Yeah, uh, so this this deer, you know, it, he, he's a really good deer i mean as good as it gets for the area that i hunt um you know the i'm in south central kentucky uh, more central kentucky than south central um but you know we're, we're it's pretty common to see 130 to 100 you know 45 inch deer you know it's you know i, I get to hunt those type deer every year just about but um here in kentucky but but it's it's not as common to see deer that are 160 plus you know we see maybe one or two deer that are in the 50s each season but this deer here was pushing you know right at 170 and so uh, i might get to chase a deer like that um once every few seasons and you know i've only shot two bucks that are in the 160s so in my entire life so um it was definitely not a not something you know it's not like iowa i will put it that way but i'm certainly thankful to to be able to hunt the quality of ground that i do because i know it could be much much different than than what i have so um but you know so this deer um the, i guess the, the story for him started i guess technically two years ago because he is just a four and a half year old deer which is kind of surprising for as as big of a rack as he had 
Um, he honestly, if I'd have had a thousand acres and he was living in the middle of it, I would have let that deer go another year or two, uh, simply because he had serious potential to be even bigger than, than, than he was now. But, you know, it was hard to do that whenever he's his, his primary bedding area, which was on our property. Um, but was probably, you know, depending on the exact bed he used on, on a given day, anywhere from 75 yards to 150 yards from three different property boundaries. He was living right in the corner of the property that I was hunting, which is about 200 acres. Uh, but he was living right up in the corner of it. So, I mean, he, he was a deer that spent a lot of time. I actually watched him cross over onto neighboring properties from, from my property and stand locations I was on in past seasons. So I knew he wasn't just living on our track of land. So the odds of him making it past this season were not great. Not to say that, uh, that he wouldn't have, but it was really hard to pass that deer of something I just couldn't do given the fact that he was already so big, bigger than anything that I'd ever harvested. Um, and also the fact that he was spending so much time on neighboring properties. So uh, I'll start the story by saying, I wish that I could have seen him another year or two later because he really could have been even more special. But um, it all started two years ago when he was two and a half. Uh, of course at two and a half, I didn't spend much time looking at him because, uh, you know, I'm, uh, for, for this particular area, you know, we try to focus on four and a half year old deer and older. Other places that I hunt I might shoot a two and a half year old deer, but given the, the buck age structure that we're blessed to hunt here at home in Kentucky, uh, we, we try to wait for four and a half and older. Um, so it just basically in, in, in 2021, I logged his trail camera photos and that was it. Um, then last year, he kind of really turned into something that was pretty special. Um, he was showing a lot of promise, a lot of potential. He was already a six by six last year. Um, had split G4s, really good mass, but you could tell he was a three and a half year old deer. I actually personally encountered the deer several times. And so I hunt this property with a couple of other people and them and some of our neighbors had, had all kind of talked. We'd talked about letting this deer go. Um, and that was about mid season because everybody was seeing him, saw that he had really good potential. Everybody was like, yeah, we want to make sure he gets to at least one more year on him, if, if not maybe two. And, um, and so we made agreements to, to pass this deer, which is actually the only deer that we've ever, you know, as a, as a lease leasing group, cause we do lease the property, um, or even with our neighbors, um, you know, we've never really had a co-op, but we had a, a co-op for this deer, put it that way. Um, and so I actually passed the deer several times before that agreement and after that agreement, um, uh, watching him from a stand, the, the hardest pass though, and, and I've, I've, you know, it's part of the story. So I tell it, um, you know, I I've always done that, you know, I, I, I don't hold anything back, but so, uh, I actually took a youth hunter, um, late season to that property. And I, this deer had a really, really big home range. He was everywhere, but I was kind of over in the corner of the property where I thought we were far enough away from this deer that we wouldn't encounter him. And I told the youth hunter before we went in there, he never shot a deer or anything like that. This is the first time he'd ever been hunting. And I was like, we're, you, there's a lot of bucks on this property, a lot of does. You can shoot any deer you want to, except for this one. Uh, and, and I've already given my word to several people that this deer would make it through the season. Uh, and of course, that's the first deer that we see. Wow. So he has to pass a youth hunter that's never been able. 
And, and I'd probably, you know, and it wasn't me trying to be selfish. It was just me saying, Hey, I've promised these people and talked to these people about passing the deer and said that I was passing the deer. And so it was what it was. Fortunately, it worked out, uh, you know, after about five hunts uh, he, and by mid January, I guess it was early January, uh, he ended up getting a really, well, he shot, shot a doe first. We had a nice cold front that went through. He shot a doe. Uh, it was early in the day, so I told him, I was like, we can stay here and try to get you a buck, too, because there's plenty of time for deer to keep moving. And then he ended up getting a nice five-and-a-half-year-old uh, buck with a little drop tine on the end of his main beam. So it worked out for him. He got a more mature deer, uh, a, a nicer deer, and, and so it, it was all good. He was he was happy. And he understood the, the you know, the, the decision behind everything. He wasn't upset at all. But uh, And I also think it was a better experience for him uh, because he was able to – you know go hunting more than just one day you know and, and shoot a deer an hour and a half into a, uh, his yeah. first ever hunt in some ways he didn't I've even heard. yeah he didn't yeah. even know what he was missing in some ways he hadn't shot one before he sees this buck heck he might think that that's the way it goes all the time uh when yeah. he goes out there that you see deer like this so i think that worked out well I, and i i couldn't help but think mike i know this is going through your mind like man, what good neighbors. If I went over to my neighbors and said, hey, you got to pass this, you know, 150 inch three-year-old, they'd probably skin me up right there, I would think. Well, yeah, and, so, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, well, I was no, just no. saying it all depends on, on the neighborhood and what the goals are. I'm encouraged that with the fact that these neighbors were willing to actually have a very civilized discussion for the betterment of a specific deer. So, that always keeps the door open too for future. Yeah. And, and, and the, you know, I, I've not always had great communication with hunt, neighboring hunters, but these particular ones are, you know, we kind of send trail camera photos back and forth and we communicate and kind of keep each other updated. And so it's really good. It's, it's, it's better for everybody whenever you have good communication with your neighboring hunters, as, as we all know. So take us through it. One of the things I'm curious about is and you said this, you said that this deer had a pretty wide range. Mm -hmm. And so heading into this season, I mean, I have to assume that that caused some challenges to you as far as trying to hone in on this deer. Or did he start to tighten that range up a little bit based on what you were seeing? Yeah. So this year he actually did last, last there was a big change in the property. So this property we've hunted it for about 10 years or so um, close to it. We started not quite 10 years. I started leasing, I think in 2015. But it's always been a CRP farm. Uh, the contract ended, though. It was in a 15-year rotation, and that ended. And, of course, a lot of the CRP farms are coming out because the prices aren't as good, and they're going, you know, reverting back into agriculture. So it actually went back to ag this year, and half the farm was in corn and half the corn, uh, property was in beans. So it changed the dynamics quite a bit. Um but yeah, just, just this deer did, he, he, he tightened that home range down a lot. Of course he was focused on the beans, which was, was, was one half of the property instead of it all being CRP. Uh, I've noticed it seems like CRP farms, deer tend to have larger home ranges than, uh, maybe your typical, um, and I know that's, I'm not throwing that out as a blanket statement. Um, you know, every deer is, it's, is an individual individual and has its own personality and tendencies and stuff like that. So I'm not throwing that statement at every deer, but it seemed like just going from hunting that property for, you know, CRP all those years and then going to ag this year. And of course I haven't had a full season to, to really have that anecdotal experience yet, but just looking at summer and early season, it seems like some of these deer have a lot smaller home ranges than they did. Um, 
whenever it was CRP because I, you know, a lot of these deer return bucks that I've seen and we're blessed to, to see, goodness, I think we've got 10 bucks on that 200 acres that I've, well, 10 that we've had on camera so far that are three and a half and older. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. So it's a really good deer. Good. I mean, it's a high deer density when you factor in all the younger bucks and does, but, um, but the buck age structure is incredible. So, um, is, yeah, this deer did end up reducing his home range size, his core area size. He was kind of focused on uh, one particular timber block. Uh, the way that property lays out is we've got a big timber block on the west side and a big timber block on the east side, and then everything in the middle and kind of around it a little bit is, is ag. And, of course, there's timber and ag on the neighbors too. But um, He was kind of focused on one particular timber block, and that's that's where I basically hunted him. And, and before season started, that's where I kind of kept track of him throughout the summer. All right, so let me ask you this then: you got a, you've got them kind of honed in. And by the way, that's not uncommon. Is is bucks age? Uh, they do tend to shrink down their home ranges quite a bit. I've certainly seen that as a hunter. There's research that supports that, and so that part of it is not. I, I, I guess would be pretty usual. I also want to go back to something quickly that you said about this deer. Even as a three-year-old, well, frankly, as a two-year-old, he was showing you great potential. As a three-year-old, he blew up. And just to remind our listeners that deer are very much like people that way. Like we very, if you go back, if you played little league as an example, like I remember some kids in our dugout that like had girlfriends and were growing hair on their chest at 12 years old. And then there were some other kids that were like two or three years away from that yet. And so that's the same thing in the deer woods. And so sometimes you do have deer that are just a little more blessed. And that's, that's the case. It sounds like with this deer and the world record deer, the Hanson buck, uh, I, I believe was a four and a half year old deer. So it, it is there, uh, it is there to do in that age, in that age range. So uh, anyway, okay. So now you've got the setup, you think you've got a plan. What happens after that? Yeah. So I'm having to pull my calendar up here just to remember the exact dates. Cause it's been a few weeks now, but yeah, of course our, our season opened this year on, um, uh, it, well, it always opens the first full weekend in September. That's when the Kentucky opener uh, is, is always scheduled for. And so this year that fell on, I think it was September the 2nd. I believe that was right. Yeah, September the 2nd. And so that morning I didn't hunt. Um, I didn't hunt that morning. You know, I had no plans to hunt in mornings. Not because I, I'm completely against mornings. You know, there's some situations, there's some property layouts, some particular um uh, you know, scenarios where a morning hunt certainly merited, um, you know, even during the early season, if the conditions are right for it and the deer is, you know, on a certain pattern and you can get in and out cleanly. But that wasn't the case, the way this property lays out, where the deer was bedding, where he was feeding the access that I had. I had just completely written off morning hunts. And so I, I, I did not hunt this deer opening morning. I ended up uh, helping him, uh, my cousin, uh, he was a youth hunter helped him you know i took him that morning um that afternoon I, I hunted him for the first time um i did not see him opening afternoon he was actually i think he was off shedding his velvet because he had run with two specific bucks all summer long well at least since i'd put my cameras out um and both of those bucks i saw uh they, and, and were both of those were within bow range but he never did show up um and then he showed back up on trail cameras a day or two later with um uh, he was clean at clean out of velvet so i'm assuming he was probably off on open day uh shedding that velvet um that afternoon because the access i have really good in access but i can only access that property from the southwest corner 
Um, and the deer was bedding up in the northeastern corner of the farm. And then the food, the beans were in the center of the farm. And so like I, I had really good entry, but my, my exit wasn't so good because I had to go back through the food to get back to the vehicle. And I had no other option. Um, I just don't have access from neighboring properties, um, and, uh, you know, other directions. So, um, I did end up spooking a couple of deer going out that night. And I said, it's like, you know, unless this deer is just really daylight active on trail cameras, which he hadn't been, um, you know, he would have occasionally show up in, in daylight on a trail camera during the preseason. Most of that, uh, most of those were morning, uh, encounters as he was going back to bed. Um, probably twice as many, which he didn't have many at all, but twice as many morning and uh, daylight trail camera appearances as afternoon, um, which is typical for, for early, you know, uh, per, you know, summer and early season. But, um, you know, I decided to wait a few days to hunt him again after that opening day, just simply because I hadn't seen him that day um, because I'd spooked a couple of deer going out. I wanted things to just kind of calm back down. I didn't want to, you know, push too hard. Um, he ended up showing up on trail camera, uh, the next Wednesday, that first Wednesday of season. So that would have been September the 6th. Um, we had a nice little cool, uh, drop in temperature, um, where, you know, the deer were really up on their feet. Um, you know, it had been that the movement had been kind of stale for several days. Um, and then we had that cool front multi. I know there's a lot of conflicting science on cool fronts and stuff, but I'm a believer. So I'll just <laughs> throw that out there. But, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, so he, he moved that day. I was not there. I didn't hunt him that day. I went that next, that, that Friday, so two days after that next daylight appearance and uh, hunted him in the same area. And I was kind of in a spot where, you know, the deer was bedding up on the higher elevation in the timber. They were coming down through a, it's a pinch point. And pinch points are good all season long. They're not just rut stands. Uh, you know, if you're a bow hunter, a pinch point is, is an all season necessity. Uh, you know, because you can't shoot 200 yards with a with a compound uh, compound bow, but um, yeah. So so that was kind of the setup. He was bedding up on this hilltop. He funneled down through this kind of little pinch point. Um, you know, full disclosure, I did have a corn pile out because I mean, in Kentucky, I can do that. Um, most of the time, whenever I feed corn, though, it's it's not to hunt over. It's just kind of hold deer because every single one of my neighbors do it, and if I don't do it, I don't see deer typically you know it's, it's, whether you like corn don't like corn can't you know it, it, you know if in kentucky unless you're in the five county area where you can't do it in the cwd zone um you know outside of that if you're not using corn you're not seeing as many deer just, we, just, we hear that a lot yeah yep yep very it, it really and it's true you know it's yep. not just an excuse to put corn out it really is true so i, I hunt several properties and corn's not cheap so i don't i don't feed corn on every single property that i have access to Usually I just feed corn on the property that I'm going to hunt, you know, cause I usually focus on one property each year. Um, and, and so, um, and, and it's, it's, it's true though, on the properties that I don't feed corn on, if I did feed corn on those properties, I would see a lot more deer, but my, because my, I'm not feeding corn on those properties, all the neighbors are, and they're killing the deer each year. It, it really is true. I mean, you have particular bucks that have, this personality or that personality and some of them may not prefer to, to hit a corn pile or they might have had a bad experience with a corn pile which is actually quite frequent uh, um, you know happens often and so they kind of shy away from them at least in daylight 
Um, but so I, so that, that particular area was kind of a staging area and there was corn kind of scattered around in there. I do try to disperse corn out instead of just putting it. Sometimes I'll still put it in a, in a pile. Most of the time when I feed corn, it's usually spread out with a, with a, like a four wheeler, uh, seed spreader. That way it kind of disperses that corn out. It's a little more healthy. You know, you don't have all them deer concentrated one little tiny area, you know, it's scattered out over like a quarter acre spot, almost like a really small micro food plot would be which is a little bit healthier for the deer from a consumption standpoint. Um, that way they're not swapping so many germs. But um, so that was kind of the setup there. And then there was a, a big persimmon tree that was just dropping buckets and buckets and buckets um, of, of persimmons, you know, right there underneath it. Um, and then the soybean field was kind of back beyond that. So they were kind of staging up in that area where the, the timber pinched down, um, come down out of the bedding area, hit that pinch point. That staging area inside the timber where the persimmons was where the corn was kind of scattered out and then they would go on out into the soybean field and uh that friday that first friday of the season which would have been probably day seven i guess it would have been i hunted again and he i ended up seeing him but he circled around me and come out into the beans you know a back way he didn't come down through the pinch instead he kind of went out into the beans where the timber was more was broader uh and and not pinched down um now are and, you in a so i wanted to ask you this are you in a fixed position stand that you had already set are you hunting out of a saddle what's your setup look like hello friends nick penizzato here and i want to tell you about our friends at moultrie mobile who are longtime nda supporters specifically i want to talk about the edge cellular trail camera now this new auto connect technology works on multiple major u.s networks so it's gonna automatically connect to the best signal in your area. It also has built-in memory, so you don't have to mess with SD cards. And for me, that's a big deal because mine always end up in the wash and that never turns out well. They also have improved battery life and also improved image quality. So we're talking 33 megapixel quality images and 720p HD video, and that's day or night. Be sure to check them out at MoultrieMobile.com. Yeah, so I that was a, a fixed stand, uh, a hang-on tree stand in a, a permanent location. Um, I, I had dispersed uh, uh, a couple of, or well, a couple of climber stands in a, that I could get to easily if I needed to do something. You know, if the wind wasn't right, I can, you know I had a couple of climber stands there, climbing stands. I had a, another really lightweight hang-on tree stand with me in case I needed to do a hanging hunt. Um, I had before the season started hung several fixed position stands in different locations that I thought might produce. Um, but that particular hunt, um, honestly, all three hunts, uh, that I put in for the steer were in that one specific fixed stand because the wind was pretty consistent for those three hunts and the deer were kind of doing the same thing. And so I, I didn't get him that night. He actually ended up circling around and getting about 25 yards, 20, 25 yards behind me, <clears throat> excuse me, but I was in a cedar tree and it was just like a, you know, a wicker basket behind me, um, you know, so there was absolutely no shooting lane. So I didn't actually get a shot at him. And even if I had gotten a shot at him, I wouldn't have been able to because he didn't actually come out and circle around um, and get within range until probably one or two minutes after legal shooting light ended. So even if I had a shot, it wouldn't have mattered because um, legal light had, had just just um, ended. So uh, I, I at that point, I was faced with a pretty uh, – difficult choice because i because basically from the north end of the property all the way to the south end which i have to go through to get back to the truck 
but the middle of the farm from north to south is all soybeans. Um, and I looked to the north, looked to the south, um, and there were deer everywhere. And this deer was actually moving deeper down into the soybeans and was going toward my truck, which was probably another eight, 900 yards past him. So he wasn't going to be right on top of it, but he was going in that direction. Um, so I, I knew I was going to spook other deer or spook him whenever I had to get down and go back to the truck. And I thought about this before. I hadn't decided what I was going to do if it happened, but if I was like, you know, if that deer gets down there, what am I going to do? You know, if he gets out on the beans behind me before dark, you know, how, you know, what's the play. And I hadn't come up with anything. And of course there's been times where I've had people drive in and pick me up or, you know, with a four wheeler or, or a truck or a tractor, if it's a farm uh, or I've barked like a dog or howled like a coyote to kind of push, push, push the deer back up into the bedding area. Cause that's a better alternative than them, you know, knowing that a humans in the area. Um, but the problem was that I was just going to push him closer and all the other deer pushed him closer to the, to the vehicle because they were, they weren't, you know, I, they weren't between me and the bedding area. They were between me and the truck and they were out on the food. So, um, I ended up spending the night in the tree stand that wow. evening <laughs> wow. to keep from alerting that deer to my presence. Um, and I don't think he knew I was there. I ended up having one deer blow at one point during the night, just cause I guess the wind picked up and you know, a deer smelled me, but I'm assuming it wasn't him cause he didn't quit coming in there on camera. So what is that uh, phone call like, you know, when you get in touch with your wife and say, Hey, I'm going to spend the night in a tree tonight. I mean, mine would probably say, well, you just stay out there forever, but (laughs) how did that go? Yeah. So I texted her, I said, am I crazy? Dot, dot, dot. And she was like, well, we've already established that, but what's your question? (laughs) Um, And so I, you know, of course I told her the situation and and I talked deer hunting. She's not a deer. Well, she is a deer hunter. She, well, she's a retired deer hunter. So I took her deer hunting several years ago and she shot one deer she shot one turkey and then she quit hunting not because she didn't didn't you know didn't like it she actually was pretty excited about it in the moment but it just wasn't her thing which is which is perfectly fine but i taught so so she but she i've been with her for we've been together for goodness gracious we've been married for eight years and we've dated for a long time before that and so i've been talking deer hunting with her for a long time so she even though she's not really a, a, a an avid deer hunter uh, she gets it and understands it and knows the talk, knows a lot more about deer hunting than most non-hunters do, uh, or retired hunters, I should say. Um, but yeah, so, so she completely understood. She was fine with it, but it, it really was a, a radical move on my part and, and, and not something, I will say this, I don't advise anybody to spend the night. Don't, I don't advise anybody sleeping in the tree stand, especially because that's dangerous. Um, you know, it's they're, they're, being in a tree stand is dangerous enough in the daytime. You don't want to be spending the night and falling asleep. But so, so I, I did pull an all-nighter, you know, because I didn't want to fall asleep and fall out. Of course, I was, had my harness on and I had my, you know, I, I stay tied in just about every time, you know, unless I'm in a weird spot where I'm doing like a hanging hunt or something. Of course, you know, you have lineman's ropes for those, in, um, uh, lineman's belts for those in, those times. But, um, you know, I keep lifelines on my stand so that I'm tied in as I'm climbing up to um you know and i'm always wearing a harness when i'm in the stand so i had my harness on i also wrapped a, a strap myself you know lean back against the trunk and put another strap around my chest that way if i did fall asleep i couldn't you know couldn't lean basically you know i was you know tied in the upright position you know i couldn't fall out if i if i fell asleep but ultimately i pulled an all-nighter and uh, you know i hunted the next morning just you know because i was already there you know i didn't expect to see the deer but because uh, at that point he wasn't really hitting that spot in the mornings anymore and 
yeah and then then went went home that that would have been a saturday so i went home and slept all that off that saturday well i can't say that's something i've ever done uh certainly at this age not willing to do it now uh, mm -hmm. mike you, as you know i've even retired from all day sits at this point unless like the giant buck i'm after happens to bed right by my stand like i'm getting down i mean where are you at with that well i mean it's i guess i just can't put myself in that same situation because i don't have you know bucks in that age class you know i mean it's but if you're in that situation you have the confidence that this is what i need to do to be successful and, and you know you i guess for me it's something that you got to do i guess i mean like like for me i just can't wrap my mind around that like my wife first of all she'd say that that's not going to happen and literally <laughs> I feel like i'm coming out so um but yeah I, I guess it's really interesting to hear the the next level like when you're actually you know chasing bucks that are in that 160 170 class plus age class like you know where i'm sorry like um size class where you really you know have to be different you know you have to be different than everybody else to succeed so uh, i'm just i'm sitting here just listening just waiting for the next part of the story well here. you know i mean it, it, you know i had never done that before that was the first time that i would ever done that uh personally i'm also the guy who doesn't like to do all day sits now i've done a bunch of them and i'm still young enough i guess you know i'm 31 i'm still young enough to handle it but uh nick you're probably in better shape than i am even at, at your old age uh, so, so I don't know what you're complaining about all day sits. You're like the marathon runner or whatever. It's lazy. But, it's laziness really is what it is, but. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. I so got take you. us, take well, us to the point where you're, this is, what's the, what does the big day look like, right? Like what's your strategy? Like you think this is the day it can happen. Yeah. So that Friday, you know, I was looking ahead and I was like, man, I just, I stayed the night in a tree stand. I'm, I'm not really feeling it. You know, of course you come out, out on the back end of that. You're like, you know, I did, I know why I did that. It was a good choice. I, you know, I didn't ended up not spooking the deer. The plan worked, you know, he's still running. He had, you know, I don't think he's caught on to me, but man, you're just really, you know, you, you don't want to go hunting for a day or two after that. <laughs> just, just because you're mentally whipped uh having to to sit there in the tree stand all night long at least for me but um but again i did it because i don't get to hunt deer this caliber very often and i didn't want to mess it up so i uh i tried to to make a calculated move there and, and I, I guess it worked it's at least another detail in the story i'll put it that way so um you know i know i didn't spook him walking out that night that's all i know now did it impact me whether i ended up you know eventually kill him or not who knows you know but if i had walked out that night and spooked him it might have changed the whole situation so but but yeah so i looked ahead at the the, the forecast um it, the next couple of days didn't look great. Uh, just kind of stale, kind of warm. Um, but there was another cold front coming in and it would have been that September, Tuesday, September the 12th is whenever, uh, I, I think it was, we finally ended up catching up to him there. Um, and went back to the same spot. He, he was really still on the same pattern because the soybeans were still green. The persimmons were still dropping. Everything was the same. So his pattern hadn't changed. Um, and, and, you know, I'd seen him that Friday, I guess that would have been the eighth. Yeah. Um, and so I went back in there September the 12th and settled in deer started moving really early. Um, and, and he did too, you know, most of my preseason encounters on trail cameras, cause I never did. I tried glassing him from afar during the preseason, never did see him. Um, but all of my trail camera activity, uh, before the season opened showed him, 
you know, just hitting those of an afternoon that that last few minutes of daylight. Just you know, he's even even during the preseason, he didn't like moving much in daylight, um, especially of an afternoon. Some of his morning, uh, you know, morning appearances were a little deeper into legal light, but all of his afternoon trail camera encounters before the season opened, except for maybe one or two, were really really close to the end of of, of uh, daylight. So. Uh, but but on the twelfth he moved the earliest uh, probably the earliest that he had moved um, uh, compared to my preseason trail camera photos um, all, you know all all year long so he he come in about an hour I guess it was a little over an hour before legal light ended so that would have put it at that time somewhere around six thirty mm-hmm. um, he come in really slow very cautious just on pins and needles the whole time as big deer typically are but especially anywhere near uh, where deer congregate. And there were a bunch of deer behind me already in the beans. There were a bunch of deer feeding under the persimmon tree. There were some deer feeding on the corn, you know. So, you know, he was just on pins, you know, looking everywhere. But but eventually, you know, like, even though the the, the, the buildup, because it was a multi-year story, you know, is, is a long one, the, the final hunt, the final day really is, uh, you know, other than getting the deer, which is climactic, you know, it was anticlimactic as far as, uh, you know how it happened you know he just kind of come down out of the timber uh, out of the bedding area come out really slowly had to watch him for probably five ten not quite ten minutes but probably seven or eight minutes before i finally got a shot opportunity and then um, you know he stopped there at 25 yards 20 actually 24 yards broadside well slightly quartering too but he was probably 90 95 percent broadside and had that front near side leg forward enough that i could you know put one through the vitals easily I want to ask you this related to that part of it, because I have found if there's a deer that I've had history with, for some reason, it adds like an additional uh, level of excitement and even anticipation and pressure. And so as opposed to a deer that just shows up out of nowhere and, and you focus on making the shot, did you feel that at all? And how did you compose yourself in order to make a good shot on them? Yeah. So I've, I've, you know, looking back throughout my entire life, especially whenever I was younger, I messed up a lot of encounters, like uh, just what, what missing deer, uh, making, you know, made some bad shots on deer. Um, and, and I guess over time, I just finally, and I've not shot a ton of big deer. I've, I've shot a decent number of mature animals for my age. Uh, but that was something that I really struggled with for a long time, even into my mid twenties and something that I still struggle now. And I'm 31. And if you, and be honest, you know, if you don't have at least a little bit of buck fever, uh, you know, then, then, you know, it's, you're not going to be, be enjoying it anyway. So you want to at least retain some of that buck fever. I don't ever want to get rid of buck fever, but I do want to learn how to manage it. And so, um, yeah. So knowing that I had the history with the deer, the size of the deer itself, all of that, you know, obviously increased that, that factor. But one thing that I do, once I see that it's the target that I'm looking at, I don't ever look at his rack again. Like, and, and I still film. So it's easy to keep myself distracted. Um, and that's, I think that also helps me, you know, it obviously makes it harder because whenever I'm self filming all of my hunts, it just adds another element of, of, uh, you know, of challenge. Um, but it also helps distract me from the buck fever aspect because I'm trying to juggle, you know, shooting the deer, filming the deer, getting quality footage. And so I almost use the filming aspect of it as a distraction. 
whenever I'm seeing that deer and I'm getting worked up and everything like that, it actually calms me down because I'm able to focus on the video aspect of it, getting quality footage, running the camera, you, you know, handling all the controls and stuff like that. And of course, like I said, there's other things, general things that I do as well. I, once I see it's the deer, I don't look at its rack anymore. The only thing I look at is where I'm going to shoot. Uh, even if I have to look at that deer for 10 minutes, I'm staring at the spot where I'm going to put my pin. Um, and there's numerous other elements and, and factors and tips and tactics that you can use as well in, in that scenario. But, but those are probably two of the bigger factors for me and they're the most important. Well, they worked for you and you got it done and it's an awesome deer. And we always have our guests uh, send photos for us to use for promotion of the show. And obviously you'll send us one of you with mm -hmm. this deer and our listeners will get a chance to see it and we'll tell them where to find you on your social media too, so that they can see more about it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, congratulations to be able to seal the deal on a deer that you've known about for a while is always extra gratifying, uh, whether it's a 120-inch deer or, in this case, a 170-inch deer. Uh, pretty cool stuff. And so uh, congrats on that. And now, though, I'm going to ask you to transition a little bit. So you shot this deer in the early season. You went through a lot of the tactics that you used, which were clearly sort of early season tactics. People are going to be listening to this on the 25th of October. So right on the doorstep of the rut, frankly, that, uh, that week led leading into Halloween tends to be more my favorite week than even the rut, but let's talk about rut mm -hmm. tactics. Um, you have some tags left. You're going to be doing some rut hunting. How do your tactics change, uh, when, when the bucks become more active and are on their feet more? Yeah. So the tactics change all season long. That's, that's something that has helped me, uh, is understanding that, deer patterns deer behavior changes certainly weekly and sometimes daily and and so do their patterns where they go where they bed where they sleep where they eat where they you know where they run where they drink you know everything about what their you know their daily life changes um sometimes even on a daily daily basis and so you know once you get into that rut you know it's almost like we, you know, you talk, you can kind of compare it in phases, you know, call it phases. You know, some people say the, the seeking, the chasing, the tending, you know, there's some that have it broken down from anywhere from three to five or six different phases, some more. And, and so um, obviously you can pick and choose different tactics for each of those phases that are maybe a little bit more attuned to those time frames. But um, in general, you know, once we get into that late October time frame, if we're speaking specifically to that, um, I think the biggest factor is to remember that if you're targeting the really mature deer, you know, some of your younger bucks, two and a half, three and a half year olds might be starting to run a little bit more, but those really mature deer, the four and a half plus year old deer, in my experience in the places that I hunt, which is the lower Midwest and Northern sort Southeast, um, they're still on bed to feed patterns that, that last week of October. They're starting to move a little bit more. Cause as we know from a lot of the research that, that you guys have, uh, uh, you know, uh, expressed shown and, and, and highlighted throughout the years. Um, it shows that deer daylight movement ramps up each day throughout, um, the fall and, you know, peaks during the rut. But, um, that last week of October, from my experience, it, it, the best bet has to continue to focus on buck bedding areas. Um, uh, unless you get right around that Halloween mark, first couple days in November, then they might start seeking some does might start, you know, uh, skirting the downwind edges of doe bedding areas. But for me, 
they're still in those buck bedding areas and still focused on bed to feed patterns and 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 I but but to find those places to find where those mature deer are spending some time I try to find obviously the rut sign heavy rub lines uh, scrapes that are not on the field edges necessarily but back in the timber um, you know those are good clues and markers for where those mature bucks are potentially spending some daylight hours. I think that's one of the reasons I enjoy the sort of the late pre-rut. I think I just made a new phase up, by the way. Uh, but that time getting close to Halloween, because um, what I've found is the bucks, you're talking about feeding patterns, and they are starting to key in on does. And so they may wander out into those feeding areas a little bit earlier than usual to just sort of hang with the does and just be available. And that deer to me has always been a lot easier to, sh to, to kill than the one that is got a hot doe and is either running through the woods like crazy and you can't get them to stop or has them pinned up somewhere, you know, in a, in a thicket and they're not moving at all. They'll stand there and let you look at them, but you can't get close to me. That, that peak rut time is way harder. So mm -hmm. what's your experience with that? Oh yeah. I, actually peak rut is my least favorite time of year to be a deer hunter. It's my favorite time of year to be a deer observer because you get to see all the craziness that happens during the rut. But yeah, from a deer killing standpoint, especially if you're targeting a specific deer and not just targeting deer in general, it's the worst time of the year to actually try to, to, to kill one. But because there's no, there's, it's much more random. They're covering much more, greater amounts of ground, a great, you know, they're moving the most they're going to move all season long. And that might be in, around your stand location, but it also might be a mile away. So, um, you know, I've always kind of looked at the rut and used the rut as, as a crutch almost because it is, I don't want to say the unprepared deer hunter. That's, that's, that's going to sound obnoxious, but well, I'll just use it for myself. So, there are some, I'm hunting, I've hunting, this year I hunt Kentucky, uh, Ohio, and Indiana. Kentucky and Ohio, I'm, I've hunted the properties for multiple years, and I know them. I know how to hunt them. Um, I don't always kill a deer, but, but, I, but I know them as well as I'm going to know them, you know, the properties and the deer herds. And so I'm really confident that, that I know what to do to put myself in a decent position to succeed um, outside of the rut. Indiana, this, I'm on a brand new property this year that I've never hunted before, have no idea how the deer herd uses it, don't really know much anything about it at all, and that's why I'm going to be hunting there during the rut, because I am an unprepared deer hunter on the Indiana property that I'm going to be hunting on, because I don't know anything about it. This is my first year learning it, so I'm unprepared, not, and, and that's that's kind of, that's I guess a rough term to use because this is my first year there but essentially I'm unprepared because I don't know anything about the property and so I wanted to focus on Kentucky and Ohio early season um, and then focus on Indiana once the rut kicked in because that was going to give me a greater opportunity to succeed because I don't exactly know the best areas to target those those specific mature bucks that I'm hoping to target um on that property i don't know the property well enough yet to 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 really be in the game yet early season or late season now i might you know luck up and get it done you know if i tried but i'm using that rut time frame as a as a crutch because uh, it is the best option for a deer hunter 
who maybe doesn't have the best property, maybe maybe uh, the deer don't spend a lot of time on that particular tract, especially if it's a small tract of land uh, outside of the rut. Um, maybe the neighbor's lands offer better bedding cover or food sources for early season and late season. Um, but yeah, so that, I guess that's 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 really my main point when it comes to the rut compared to other time frames uh, throughout the season is if you think you're really can be confident with that early season time frame or late season time frame or pre-rut time frame, um, and you're and you're prepared, uh, those are far better times to succeed, especially on specific deer. But if you're not targeting a specific deer, or if you don't know the area that well, the rut's going to be your best time more than likely. All right, Josh. So let's back up just a little bit and talk about your statement where you were saying that in that late October time frame even though we're seeing the 18 month old two and a half year old bucks starting to feel a little bit froggy, the more mature bucks are still on that bed to feed pattern. So um, talk about, do you, do you morning hunt? Do you uh, exclusively evening hunt? Do what's the, you know, do you give them a little bit more leeway in regards to how closely you're trying to um, hunt them? Because, you know, are they moving a little bit more as that time frame uh, approaches? Yeah, so usually middle of October, somewhere between at, at earliest October 15th time frame and at latest October 20th, depending on what the weather's doing and, and, and you know, if I have a deer that I'm targeting, whatever the, you know, the situation is. But yeah, that mid to, you know, mid-October, October 15th to 20th is when I usually start hunting mornings. Um that's when I like to, to really kick that off. Um, if, like I said earlier, if a situation calls for an early morning hunt earlier than that, then great. But yeah, definitely once I'm into that late October, that last week of October, I think that's a phenomenal time to, to really start hunting mornings, especially if you're seeing daylight action on trail cameras. Um, you know, uh, at that point, I still put a lot of stock in trail cameras. Once we get into the first week in November, other than to just monitor them loosely to see if a deer is either a still alive and hadn't been killed by a neighbor, um, or if just to, to see maybe to, to know if a deer had been in a general area, you know, recently within the past day or two. Uh, I don't put a lot of stock in trail cameras once we get into the rut. Um, I've seen too many instances where deer were, you know, while I was in the stand, even all doing an all day sit and I was looking at a truck camera over here that's 50 yards away or hundred yards away or whatever. And it like didn't pick up a single deer all day long. Yet I was in the tree stand over here, 50 yards, hundred yards away. And I'm seeing target, you know, seeing good bucks everywhere, you know, running and cruising and chasing. So I don't put a lot of stock into the, my trail cameras once we get into the rut, but I do put a lot of stock into them that last week of October. And if the, the trail cameras are showing some pretty decent morning movement, of those bucks still on their bed to feed patterns or if they're up starting to do a little bit of cruising i definitely like to hunt those those last few days of october uh mornings uh and evenings okay so let's talk about you mentioned something else about all day sits so in and this is just a general broad brush drill question all day sits morning evening or midday or does it depend uh, for late October, for that late October, early November time frame, like before, like before the actual, you know, lockdown phase of that rut hits. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a scientist, so I mean, everything I say is anecdotal from my experiences. But I, for late October, uh, 
I, I feel like afternoons are still a little bit better that last that last week of October. Um, but it's almost getting close to 50-50 in a lot of ways. And then once we get into early November, I prefer mornings. Mornings are almost always tend to produce better for, for me uh, once we actually get into the rut. Yeah, I like that time too in the morning. I think largely what you have happening there is the bucks are allowing the does to come in to the woods, get bedded, and then they get up in that mid-morning time and start searching out those doe beds. And I have, boy, I would say the majority of the bucks I've killed in a rut have come sometime between like 9 and 11 a.m. on those cold mm -hmm. November mornings. And so actually I'm getting getting goosebumps and excited just talking about cold November mornings. But uh, hey, real quick then, I'll ask you these last couple things as far as the rut goes. Uh, are you, do you use calls and decoys much? Uh, and also, are you still, are you trying to hunt every single day that you can be out there understanding that you can, it's really, there's a burnout factor too. Yeah, I like all day sits sometimes if the conditions are good, you know, if I, if I'm able to put it that way, I work a lot, just like all you guys and everybody else. So I, I don't have enough time to do all day sits a lot. I, I do still enjoy them if the conditions are good. Um, and so I will, I will do at least one or two or three all day sits during the rut each year. If I'm able to, to find the time, usually I have to get down at, at midday and at least do a, a couple hours, two or three hours of work before I get back up on the stand. But, um, but yeah, as far as calling and decoying goes, I, you know, I, I don't like to do a lot of blind calling, um, unless I'm decoying. Um, and so I, I'm not super experienced with decoys uh, not as much as other people who do it all the time um I've, I've done a fair bit of it myself but um i'm actually i, I actually this year that's going to be my one of my primary tactics i've got a, a, a primos uh, scar decoy that i'm going to take to indiana with me in hopes of maybe boosting the odds as i'm trying to learn that property because uh, i don't know exactly what these deer do and how they use it so um, I'm going to try to use a decoy to, to, to ramp that, that the odds up a little bit um, this season up there during the rut. But when calling, when calling goes, I, I prefer to call to deer that I see versus doing a lot of blind calling. I, I have blind called deer in, but there have been a lot of instances where I have blind called and deer got downwind of me. And so I usually don't call unless I see a deer that I know is not coming into range. And I know that that deer can't get my wind somehow, or at least I can get a shot at that deer before he gets my wind. Or if I'm in a spot where I've got like a downwind blocker, like a big fallen tree or a, a, a bluff or a riverbank or something that keeps that deer from getting downwind. So I guess that's, I'm a little bit more conserved when it comes to calling than some hunters, just because I don't do as much blind calling as maybe others do. Um, but yeah, that's my answer. Yeah. Your answers are a lot like my answers, and I'm just wondering why I don't have more 170s on the wall. But uh, there, there, there's also the well, score. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you, all of my, I, I well, I, I don't have, well, like I said, I've got two one deer that are in the 160s. The one I shot this year was close to 170, but he was still in the 160s. But most of my big deer have all been early and late season deer. I have shot a few nice bucks during the rut, but I'll be honest with you, I have shot more mature and bigger deer during the early season and late season than I have the pre-rut and the rut. Yep. Love it. Love it. And I think the reason, there's a lot of reasons the rut gets a lot of headlines. You touched on it earlier. 
for a lot of people, that's when they're taking their vacation time because that is their best chance to see deer on the move and give them the best opportunity and um, and prepared as part of it. And it's not that they don't want to be prepared. It's just that, you know, life is uh, life is out there and something you should be focused on outside of hunting. And it's hard for guys. And uh, yeah, we totally get that too. But I think we've certainly given people a lot of things to think about here. And yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe in the future, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I've, I've got my vacation pen for the second week of November, maybe try doing it the last week of October sometime. And I, I had a streak of several years in a row where I saw a mature buck on Halloween night and that just got broken uh, here last year. Of course, moving to Pennsylvania, will do that to you. But uh, uh, anyway, um, that's a great time to be in the, in the deer woods as is late season. We will have to do another show uh, later in the year, just talking about winter hunting, which has also been a tremendous time uh, for me anyway, to see really good bucks. So uh josh we certainly appreciate you coming on you can find josh by the way uh, his instagram's a good place it's just josh underscore honeycut we will put links to this in the show notes as well so you can find them but i would just encourage you to google them because if you do uh, you're going to see all kinds of articles and videos that he was part of and just all kinds of cool stuff uh and so check that out for sure so uh, josh you have some more tags to fill wish you the best of luck and hopefully we're back on here again talking about another big deer you took down yeah, uh, I'm actually going to try to maybe do a little hunting with a recurve this season too. Oh, wow. So I'm really you know, either I'm a, either a recurve or a crossbow. I haven't decided yet. Well, it's funny you bring that up because I just <laughs> I just texted Mike and I said, and speaking of two different ends of the spectrum, uh, I last year for the first time shot a few deer with the crossbow, and I could tell you it was it was just neat to try something completely different. I didn't think I'd ever do it. There, there's no question or advantages to having those. Uh, but we have um, an archery bear season and it will already have been started uh, by the time people hear this, but I'm going to hunt with the crossbow because I want to, I would really love to shoot a bear in Pennsylvania period. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. just are, you're upping your distance and your accuracy. And yeah. so I'm not going to be shy or apologetic about that. I just want to up my odds of, of maybe That's connecting right. on a bear too. So yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I, I'm a, uh, equal opportunity weapons guy whatever's in season that's what i'm going to use but I, i've never shot a deer with a recurve and so I would, I'm, I'm thinking about challenging myself at some point this fall with that well that's something the doctor has done and i haven't done it yet either so maybe we we can focus on that as a goal so uh yeah josh thanks again for coming on man good luck and we'll talk to you soon yeah thanks for having me on I think the thing that stood out to me there, there was a lot. I mean, there was a lot of really good stuff there with Josh, but I think what stood out to me was something that I have been saying for a long time, and that is I don't really love hunting that peak rut chasing phase, and neither does Josh, but so many people love it. And I think I think part of it is just because they see stuff. There's a lot going on typically in the deer woods, and it's exciting, but it's not necessarily a great time to pattern a deer or, or even get a shot at times, is it? I'm not going to say it's the greatest time to pattern a deer, but conversely, this is where I'm going to go against you. I love, I love that time of the year. I mean, I've gotten a lot of opportunities because when I was younger and I would take my vacation, that's when I took it. And I would do all day sit after all day sit. And what I would do is notice that, okay, all the deer that are coming through are coming through on that trail. And then I would move and either that day or the next day, or even the day after, if everything was still okay, I might harvest that a deer on that trail. So I mean, I would put in some time and 
when you do that year after year after year, you don't have to do as much moving. You already know where the deer want to move. You're going to be there. And if you're, you're paying attention, well, you know, like this first week of November, these stands were better. The second week of November, these went cold, but these other stands were better. And so after putting in several years and all day sits for several weeks in a row, I knew and I really had it honed down. So I actually liked that time because I had a lot of success at that time. Yeah. And you led me into sort of what I was thinking there. And that is, even though I say it's not my favorite time to hunt, here's the reality. If I had to take one week of vacation, I would still take it during that time for what you just said. And that is that your opportunities or, or if, especially if you haven't had a whole lot of time to hunt before that, maybe maybe you only have you know, a, a little bit of time and that's when you use it. You're maximizing your time when the deer are moving and covering the most ground. So to your point, yes, if you have some typical travel corridors, pinch points or whatever that, are, that have proven to be traditionally really good spots, get yourself in them and spend the time there and chances are you're going to see something or get an opportunity. So I don't disagree with what you said there either. I think it's uh, it's a great time, especially if you're trying to maximize the amount of time you have on stand. Yeah. And, th and that's pretty much what I'm still doing right now. I mean, this is October 20th when we're recording this. I've only been in the stand three times, two morning sits and one evening sit. And, you know, that evening sit, I have a doe. The second morning sit, I saw five deer and passed on a very small buck. I mean, I didn't even pick up my bow, but um, that was the same morning I've, you know, like we talked about before that I expected older bucks to check scrapes. And I was sitting over my, one of my perennial, really good community scrapes, made a new mock scrape closer into the sanctuary. And that's where that buck showed up at. And so right time of day, right time of year, I just picked the wrong location because the scrape I was sitting on always had more pictures, but apparently uh, that buck wanted to check that newer mock scrape that I put in there because it was getting a lot more activity. So I had my chance, but now I'm switched to another tactic where I know where I want to be in that week of like Halloween, like end of October. And then I know where I want to be like the 14th and the 17th of November. So it's just, I just kind of bounce chasing historical data. And then if I get a good day, I pick a, a flyer spot to maybe learn for the future. So it's a constant moving target. Yeah. And on top of that, where you are and the type of area you're hunting matters as well. So like in Delaware, we have a very distinct situation where we've got deer moving to the agricultural fields to feed and then they move out of there and come into back into the, the swamp and so the pre-rut is typically better there because those bucks are getting a little bit lazy about how much time they're spending out hanging with the ladies before they get back to bed in this mid to late october and so it's it's quite predictable but in the mountainous regions where we're hunting, whether it be Pennsylvania, New York, or even the Southern mountains, the Carolinas, uh, Virginia, whatnot, um, not as easy, not as predictable necessarily. And so you are probably better off during that time when the deer are moving a whole bunch and you're upping your odds of getting your eyes on them. So it's, again, it's also geographic. I think it matters uh, as well. So yeah, I mean, it's, the rut is an interesting time. It is 
the most it is the most exciting time to be in the woods as someone that enjoys watching deer do their thing and i think uh for most people listening to the show i assume that's you so yeah it's that time you're listening to this on october 25th and uh it's it's almost halloween that magic time of year so we're all excited about it all right folks uh just a couple quick nda announcements here uh our rut content is really through the roof right now so please check it out i'm not gonna yeah ju i'm just gonna make this easy for you go to any popular social media platform uh, find the NDA's account, and you're going to find a bunch of our RUT stuff, okay? We've been producing it daily. We've been bringing up uh, older articles that are relevant, videos. Please check it out. There's a lot of great information there that I think will supplement what you heard here on the uh, podcast today. Also, our gear for deer sweepstakes with our friends at First Light. Now, you might be wait waiting to buy tickets for this because it runs till the end of the year, but the end of the year is going to be on you in no time. These would make great Christmas gifts, by the way. So this is uh, gear for deer sweepstakes with our friends at First Light, Quiet Cat, Tethered, and Performance Outdoors. Now, listen to this first prize. Illinois Deer Hunt in 2024, a rut hunt with a celebrity guest. You can go bow or gun. Because this is that overlap where bow season ends and gun season starts. The doctor and I have hunted Illinois during this time. It is awesome. Okay. On top of the hunt, you get a Quiet Cat e-bike in First Light Spectre. You also get $1,500 First Light gift card and a complete saddle hunting package from Tethered that includes the Carbon Vader platform, Carbon Fiber Vader platform, and a set of one sticks. That is an just an incredible first prize okay outstanding first prize and our second and third prizes are also outstanding so you can check that out gear for deer sweepstakes google it you don't even have to go to our website google it. it'll take you there gear for deer and you'll be seeing some more promos on that and get your tickets hey also a reminder next episode is an ask nda anything episodes so please get me your questions at nick at deerassociation.com send us your hunting pictures and stories too we'd love to have some of our listeners on the show We'd love to do that. We always put that out there and people don't take us up on it. But yeah, if you have an interest in sharing a cool story, you want to be a guest on the show, shoot it our way. Love to do it. Good luck out there, friends, and thanks for listening. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer. Deer.